0: Take your Bibles this evening. Turn with me, if you would, to 1 Chronicles, 1 Chronicles chapter 29. I'm looking forward to, in a couple weeks or so, we'll have another special evening with uh, treats and games. I've got to get practicing again at ping pong if I'm going to have anything, be able to compete with the Lang family. But uh, anyway, I'm looking forward to that. We're going to get into the next few weeks, we're going to be studying theology. You know, it's interesting in our world today, with all the things that, are, that go on, uh, there's a cry for psychology, um, but I think the greatest need that mankind has today is not psychology, um, but is theology, actually. And not just the knowledge of it, but what is theology? The study of theos, the study of God, Um knowing God, knowing who he is. And um, and so we're going to be taking, we'll get started this week, and I'm really excited about the next couple of Sunday nights where we're in that study. So uh, you're in First Chronicles chapter 29. We'll get to that in just a few moments. Let's see here. Is Evan McBride here? All right. You got your Bible? All right. He's ready to go. Oh, Laura Lee, I'm going to need your help as well. And Cole Lang, I'm going to need your help in a little bit. Not yet. And Tori. Tori, yep, you, my daughter. All right. So let's get started here. Um, What is God like? What is God like? You tell me a little bit. Give me a little bit of feedback. Uh, One word, a few words, um, bullets. What is God like? How would you answer that? What is God like? We're not going to get to all of this tonight, but we'll get started. Yes. He's holy. Okay. Somebody else. Yes, Laura Lee. He's loved. He's just. He's righteous. He is great. Samantha. He's true. He's truthful. He's gracious. Yes. Yes, Steve. Mercy. He's merciful. It's good to have Steve back, too, after all the surgeries. We're glad you're here. Somebody else said something. Was it Terry? I heard a, a lady's voice. Marin, is that you? No, Lexi. I need binoculars. He's gentle. He's gentle. Sure. Yes, Joan. He knows all things. He's omniscient. Yes. Forgive. He's forgiving. Mr. Wayne. He's omnipotent. He's all powerful. Yes. He's loving. Yes. So we could go on and on and on. We're going to look beginning here with number one. um, And that is God wants us to know him. And so I ask the question, how can we know who God is and what he is like? And the answer is revelation. We've taken a couple of weeks to get into that a little bit. Revelation is God's method of revealing to man things about himself that man could not know otherwise. And the revelation of God is divided into two sections. Um, The first section is general revelation. That is God revealing himself to all mankind through the glories of his creation. We touched on that briefly. And Evan McBride, would you come up here and would you read Psalm 8? Psalm 8 and verse 3. So you come all the way up here. I'm going to get shocked. I know it. Yep. But it wasn't a loud boom. We're just thankful for that. All right. Psalm eight and verse three and four. Okay. Yeah. Nothing like a sword drill in front of the whole church. You're getting, yep, you're there. Psalm eight. Close by. And you can just put the Bible up here or hold it wherever you want. Uh, 3 and 4. So, one more page over. When I consider thy heavens, the work of thy fingers, the moon and the stars, which thou hast ordained, what is man that thou art mindful of him, that, and that the son of man that thou visitest him? Good job, Evan. Good job. You can be seated. Um, by the way, that this verse, this scripture passage, gets to the heart of what I think theology is. Uh, I think there are two parts to theology, the study of God. One is that God is exalted for who he is and his greatness. The other part of theology um, is our response to his greatness. And in that psalm that Evan just read, you hear David ask the question, what is man that thou art mindful of him? Theology, and this is not in your notes, but theology should never be something that puffs us up. It ought always be something that causes humility and awe of God. And sometimes, sometimes I think people in the gaining of knowledge of God, there's a puffing up, there's an arrogance or an error. And that's a, a we have missed the mark if that is how we see theology. Study of God ought to exalt God. It ought to cause us to humble ourselves before him. What is man that thou art mindful of him? In Psalm 119, and verse 1, the Bible says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Um, Laura Lee, would you come please and read Romans chapter 1, verse 20? Romans chapter 1 and verse 20. And then, Tori, you'll be next in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Cole, we'll get to you in a little bit. Romans chapter 10. So Romans chapter 1 and verse 20, Lorley. Talking about general revelation, how God is revealing himself to mankind through his creation. For the invisible things of him from the creation of the world are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Very good. The invisible things of God are clearly seen through his creation that's an amazing truth um letter b we see special revelation is god revealing himself and his truth to specific people at specific times in places and i told you over the past couple of weeks over a period of 1600 years god breathed out his words to 40 different men and uh It really is a miracle. But God, we also saw that God has preserved his words and that we have the special revelation from God. Number one, you have a blank here. It's not going to be on your screen. Number one says special revelation cannot be understood by an unsaved man. Special revelation cannot be understood by an unsaved man. Tori, would you come, please, and read First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 14? 1 Corinthians 12, verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. Oh, is that 1 Corinthians? Mm-hmm. Is it? 1 Corinthians 12, 14. I must have written down the wrong one. Mm. You're right, I'm wrong. Thank you. That is a true verse, by the way. All right. It says, but the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. I'll say that again. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. Listen, if you if you have understanding of Scripture, if you can hear a sermon preached, and you can understand the truth that is being preached, um, sometimes I think we take it for granted, but but that is a blessing of God, because there are people in the world today who hear the word of God, and it makes no sense to them at all. The Pharisees were like that. Jesus Christ himself, the living word, spoke the word of God to them. Imagine that. They looked at him. They saw truth. They saw God in human flesh speaking the truth to them, and they could not see. They were completely blind. And so it is that you know that we can assemble like this, and the word of God can be open, and we can actually understand the truth that is the word of God. That is a miracle of God, and that is a testimony of God's grace in our lives. Uh, so until an unsaved individual accepts Jesus Christ as a Savior, he cannot understand God's word. The Holy Spirit becomes our teacher after salvation. Number two, special revelation is accepted by faith. Romans 10 and verse 17 says it well. So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Uh, Now, when a person reasons and we all I like to use the term ponder to ponder or we have minds, we can reason through things. We can figure things out. A reasoning can tell a man that there must be a god that's general revelation right we look around and really it's common sense someone a creator did this a creator made the heavens he he made the stars he made the galaxies he made the earth that rotates the way that it does and the and the uh, the creation of the earth the, the seasons this this has a creator we we consider the human body and it's an incredible creation it has a creator so reasoning can tell a man that there must be a god but faith is required for salvation reasoning alone will not get a man to salvation it must be believing it must be believing the special revelation of god taking god at his word somewhere along the line there are things in the bible that we have a hard time understanding and faith has to be exercised And the only way an individual can understand God's love and what Jesus Christ has done is by accepting the Bible's message. It's in your notes. It says the effectiveness of our faith is always determined by the object of our faith. So, Jeff, I was going to have a little contest tonight to uh, illustrate this point. And I was going to have Will come up with an impact driver and you with a screwdriver. And I was going to have you race in screwing in a screw. And the object—I mean, both in that case, that illustration, both would effectively get the screw into the wood. But uh, an eight-year-old with an impact gun would have a lot more uh, uh, ability. So, uh, the the ob- what's the object of your faith? And That's the question. What's the object of your faith? Is is the object of our faith mankind? Mankind will disappoint. Mankind will let down is the object of our faith ourselves, you know, and there's that mantra. Believe in yourself. Believe in yourself. Well, I understand the idea of confidence. Um, I understand the idea of preparation and going out and confidently executing what you prepared. But that idea of believing in oneself, that will leave somebody woefully short of the glory of God and the holiness of God. There's no way that even believing in oneself will ever get a person there. So if the object of one's uh, one's faith is a man, it's a weak faith because man is weak. But if the object of one's faith is Jesus Christ, that faith is strong because God is strong. God is all powerful. Number three, number three. And Cole, if you'd make your way up, special revelation is necessary for salvation. Special revelation is necessary for salvation. Romans chapter 10 verse 13. Romans 10, verse 13. If you'd read 13 through 15, please. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Thank you, Paul. Special revelation is necessary for salvation. And these verses that we just read, that Cole just read, it speaks of that. Um, the special revelation of God is the foundation, and that's a blank in your notes, is the foundation for everything we believe about God. The special revelation of God's word is the foundation for everything that we believe about God. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, and we're transitioning from it, but. There's a lot that we can understand and see about God. There's a lot that we can reason about God when it talks about, when we, when we think of creation. We talked about that, right? We talked about his power. Um, we talked about uh, his glory. We, can, we talked about his creativity. There's a lot about God that we can understand by simply looking at creation. But ultimately, creation alone is not enough. For a man to be saved. Uh, A man can look at creation and think, wow, there must be a, a a powerful creator. There must be an incredible designer. But that would not be enough to tell a man that he is a sinner and that God loves him, that God is holy, that God is love. Right. That God is just creation does not communicate that. And so the special revelation of God is necessary and it is the foundation for everything that we believe about God. Now, you're in 1 Chronicles chapter 29. Look at verse number 10, if you would. First Chronicles chapter 29 in verse 10. <clears throat> um, now, before I read it, I want to ask you a couple of questions and you give me some feedback here. When you think of David, what do you think of when you think of David? A man after God's own heart. We get that from the New Testament. It tells us that about David. Somebody else? What do you think about when you think of David? I'm sorry? King, a king, yes. He was a king. He was a psalmist. He killed a giant, Goliath. Keep going. What else did Noah, what do you think of when you think of David? A shepherd, yes. He was. Yeah, he was involved in uh, adultery as well as murder. Yeah. He was. He was very sensitive to the leading of the Spirit of God in his life. Anything else? He was a warrior. Yeah. Yes, Jack. Yeah. He killed a lion and a bear. Yeah. Yes. He believed God. Sure. Good job, Tyler. He did. Multiple times he believed God. Yes. Mr. Roberts, you raising your hand? No good thing this isn't an auction. You would have just bought a horse. Anybody else? All right. So there's a lot of things we think of when we think of David. Um, He was a tremendous man. Um, In 1 Chronicles 29, we find some of the last words David ever spoke in his life. Um, When you think of David most of the time, do you think of him as an adult or as a young man? I tend to think of David as a young man when I think of David. So many of the stories about him were when he was young, again, killing Goliath or the lion and the bear. Um, there's a lot the Bible says about him as a king, too. But um, he's here in First Chronicles 29, he's at the end of his life. And I want to begin reading in verse number, verse number 10. And it, as, I, as we read David's words, he's going to speak to the people of Israel. At the end of David's life, you know what David is talking about? He's talking about God and he's talking about how great God is. And I just find this to be remarkable Uh, after living after all that David went through and all the failures of David's life and all the successes. Here he is. He's talking to the people of Israel and he's talking about God. Look at verse number 10 in First Chronicles 29. I'll read down through verse number 13. It says, Wherefore, David blessed the Lord before all the congregation. And David said, Blessed be thou, Lord God of Israel, our Father forever and ever. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might. And in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Now, therefore, our God, we thank thee and praise thy glorious name. I think that's a remarkable passage of scripture. And actually, I think it's one of, uh, in those three verses alone, what's remarkable is the number of attributes that David talks about God and gives glory and praise to God for. David was overwhelmed with the majesty of God. He was in awe of God. He was a lover of God. Um, he, he was a worshiper of God. And, uh, you know, I, I think when I look ahead in my life, wherever God decides when he's finished with me on this earth, this is where I would like to be at. I would like to be at a place in my life where I am in awe of God, whether I'm 80 years old or 90 years old or 45 years old. I want to be at that place in my life. I think we'd be hard pressed in all of the Bible to find three verses in a row like this that that describe so many of God's attributes all in one in one place. So these are some of the last words of David's life. Now, how should we respond to the attributes of God? And I touched on this just briefly a few moments ago, but look down to verse number 14 in the text and notice David's response. His response to God and all that God is. Look at verse 14. He says, but who am I? And what is my people that we should be able to offer so willingly after this sort? For all things come of thee and of thine own have we given thee. Isn't that amazing? David's perspective. Uh, God, we are about to offer something to you. But Lord, who are we? We are we are nobody. We are nothing compared to you. And everything that we're about to offer back to you, we only have because you have given it to us. I mean, this is an amazing, uh, amazing, amazing place in David's life. And when I when I consider it again, I I say to you, theology, knowing God, the study of God, understanding in part who God is should never make us puffed up. It should never make us exalt ourselves because our intellect, because we know so much about God, God. Uh, Knowing God uh, should should cause us to humble ourselves before and have David's response. What is man that thou art mindful of me or mindful of us? Now, uh, number two in our notes. Let's see here. Did I go the wrong way? There it is. God has many names. God has many names. And we'll start here with his names. There are Old Testament names of God. Years ago, we did a study on the names of God, and we didn't cover them all, but we covered a lot of them. And uh, number one, you see in your notes, Lord. And in our translation of the Bible, you'll find the ca- all capitals, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D. When you, wherever you see that, you know that the name Jehovah, that is a specific name of God that's being used there. And it means the self-existent one. Uh, this is God's covenant name. And uh, Lord, as it is written, reminds us that our God always keeps his promises. Wherever you see this name of God in your Bible, you can be reminded that God always keeps his promises. Number two, you see a, a different, uh, it's not a different spelling, but a different capitalization, Lord. Only capital L, lowercase is O-R-D. And where you see that term in the Old Testament, uh, that name of God is the name of God for Adonai which means my Lord or my master. And uh, our master has a right to our obedience. And it's interesting how the context of these names of God will fit these names. It's amazing how God did that. As God's servants, we have the privilege of him directing us in our service for him. Take your Bibles and turn to Isaiah, would you? Isaiah chapter 6. When I was 16 years old, Pastor Scott took the youth group on a missions trip to Ireland. And uh, that was a a tremendously impactful trip in my life. There was a missionary there. We we saw the Mulvane's. They were there. Um, There was another missionary in the area. He came and preached to our, our youth group one particular evening. He preached on this particular passage out of Isaiah chapter six, uh, his last name was Gordon. I never knew his first name. I was called a missionary Gordon, um, but but he preached. He was a younger guy, and uh, and the question was uh, that he posed to us that evening was, "Whom shall I send? And who will go for us?" And of course, Isaiah responds, "Here am I. Send me." And uh, that was a night in my life where I surrendered to. Uh, to do whatever God wanted me to do, to preach God's word. And it would be that night, looking back in my life, when I recognized God's calling in my life to preach his word. So it's a special passage to me. It's an interesting passage because in Isaiah chapter 6, in verse number 8, I'll pick it up there, Isaiah's writing, he says, Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. And he said, God said, go and tell this people, hear ye indeed, but understand not and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Now, wait a minute. Can you imagine being in Isaiah's shoes here? God said, whom will go? Whom whom can I send or who will go for me or who will go for us? Isaiah says, I'll go. I'm willing to go, Lord. I'm willing to do whatever you want me to do. And God says, in essence, good. And here's what you're going to do. You're going to go ahead and preach, but they're not going to respond uh, right in a right way. They're not going to be receptive to what you say. Now, I wondered at this point, in Isaiah's mind, and I don't believe this happened, but I have to wonder if he was kind of like, Can I take back what I just what I just said. Uh, but he doesn't do that. Uh, look at verse 10. He says, make God says, make the heart of this people fat and make their ears heavy and shut their eyes lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their heart and convert and be healed. In verse 11, uh, Isaiah responds and he says, Lord, how long? How long is this going to go on? How long am I going to preach? And all of my preaching is going to do is provide calluses over the hearts of these people. And all my preaching is going to do is going to put a veil over their eyes so they can't see the truth. So they cannot be converted. Now why, let me ask you this, why would God do this to a people? Can anybody tell me? I mean, doesn't God want people to hear the truth and receive it and be converted? And the answer, of course, would be yes. Why would God do this? And the answer is, it was a result of their disobedience in the past. There are always consequences for actions. There are always consequences for actions. Now, part of Isaiah's call was not to go out and to preach great meetings where thousands of people were being saved and converted. God's call in his life, his master called him to go out and preach the word of God that in fact condemned and blinded the eyes of the people who heard it. Whew, I don't know. That doesn't sound all that exciting. That doesn't sound exactly what I, what I would like to do. But the point is, and I'm reading this passage to us, and in the, in the word is used here for the name of God, In the passage is Adonai, my lord and my master. In other words, this, as, as Isaiah's master and as Isaiah's lord, as Isaiah's Adonai, God had the right to call Isaiah to a ministry. And Isaiah had the responsibility to obey Adonai even if it wasn't exactly how Isaiah envisioned it to be, when he said, here am I, send me. Sometimes God calls us, he directs us in our lives down paths that are hard. And and, and they're not things, if if, uh, we knew the beforehand, we would never have said, where can I sign up for for hardship? Where can I sign up for financial hardship? challenges? Where can I sign up for uh, multiple home repairs? Where can I sign up for disease or or cancer? Where can I sign up for heartache? We would never do that. But God is our Adonai. He is our master and he is our Lord. Now We're learning about God here. Number three, God is, you see the name God there. It shows up in the Old Testament. It's the Hebrew word is Elohim, Elohim, which means the strong one or the one to be feared. And when God first introduced himself to us in Genesis chapter one, in verse one, his name revealed that he is strong enough to create the heavens and the earth. God is worthy of our reverence. God is worthy of our reverence. And we ought to be reminded of that when in the Old Testament we see this name for God, capital G, lower cases O and D. Uh, Elohim. Um, number four, God Almighty is another name of God. And it comes from the Hebrew words El Shaddai. El Shaddai, which is the all-sufficient one. You know, God reminded Abraham of his all-sufficiency when he promised Abraham a son in his old age. And he used this name, El Shaddai. The all-sufficient one. And you remember Abraham's wife Sarah, she laughed. That's <laughs> never gonna happen. It's never going to happen. It's impossible. You know, Sometimes, by the way, in our personal lives, we get very frustrated with the situations of life. Um, why is that, do you think? Sometimes I think maybe some arrogance because we think we deserve better. Um, sometimes we get frustrated with the situations of life um, because, and I don't know if you've ever thought this way or felt this way, but I have personally, where I feel like, Okay, here's the challenge, but what I have to meet the challenge, what I have, maybe my wisdom or my time, I'm running short of time, or my understanding or, or my finances are are short, they're falling short of what I need to meet the challenges of life. And by the way, that's a reflection of our faith or our lack of faith and our lack of confidence in our God, who is all-sufficient. See, theology is very, very practical. It's It's not meant for institutional study, although there's profit in that. It's not meant merely for a degree, or a master's degree, or an undergraduate degree. It's not only intended for the pastor in his study. You see, this week, as we go into this week, whatever we face, the reality is, is, as Abraham learned and Sarah learned, is that El Shaddai is sufficient. He is sufficient. And Pastor Ferguson, at 42 years of age, is still learning and being reminded of this. Pastor Ferguson, you are insufficient, but, but your God is sufficient. He is able. He is El Shaddai. So we, we want to learn more about God and these things. Number five, the Most High. The Most High is another name of God. El Elyon, the Most High God. Um, God is referred uh, to as the Most High uh, on several occasions in the book of Daniel. You know, the Babylonians had to learn this, um, that their gods, lowercase g, that their gods were less than the Most High God. They had to learn that. And by the way, many nations learned that. The Philistines learned that. that Their gods were less than the Most High God, right? In fact, I love it when, was it, uh, um, what was the name of their idol? I think it was the Philistines where he had fallen over face first. What was it? Dagon, that's right. Was that in Ashdod or something like that in the city of Ashdod? But he fell that the idol fell face down. (laughs) Uh, I love it. Um, and 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 God has been revealing that to people, to nations, not just the people of Israel, but to nations throughout the centuries. He alone is the Most High. There is no other God like Him. There is no other God like Him. Um, there are New Testament names of God. New Testament names of God. Number one, God. You you have it on the screen there. Theos. I put it in Greek just so you can see it. Theos. Now this this name of God, Theos, or as you see it in the New Testament, spelled the way it is on the screen, it is the equivalent to the Old Testament Elohim. Okay? Um, number two, Lord. Uh, you hear me talk about that from time to time. Kyrios. You've heard me say that word several times. Um, talking about God is, uh he is the supreme authority. He is the creator. It would be the equivalent of Adonai in the Old Testament. And then there is this uh, uh, pater, um, which would be the equivalent of father. Now there is no equivalent of father in the Old Testament. This name of God, there's no equivalent of that in the, in the Old Testament. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He officially established this parental relationship between God and man that had never existed before. We we enjoy it. That's all we've ever known since we were saved. We we didn't live in the old under the Old Testament law. We did not live in that era. Uh, we have lived in this age, Christ risen from the dead, sitting on the right hand of the Father. We know of him as Father, our our Heavenly Father. I recently read a, a story where uh, a young lady was wanting to receive Christ as her Savior, and the gentleman who was leading her to the Lord began to lead her in what we might call the sinner's prayer, and he began the prayer, Dear Heavenly Father, and uh she started, dear, and she stopped. And uh, and he wondered if maybe you know she was emotional or maybe she didn't hear him. And so he waited a few moments and then he, he said it again, dear heavenly father. And uh, she started again and she stopped. And uh, she began to cry. And uh, he said, I'm sorry, is there something you do not understand? Or are you not ready to receive the Lord? And she said, no, I want to. But my father beat me and abused me as a child. And so father for her it was a word, a term that had been defiled. And so he led her in a different way. Dear God. And she went on right through with it. Um we we've known God as our father. Many of us for our many most of our lives. He is our father. He knows us intimately. He cares for us dearly. He has provided faithfully for us. He is so dear to us In the Old Testament, there was not an equivalent for that. Um, Number four, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And of course, we know that God was with us uh, for 33 years in the person of Jesus Christ. And someday the Lord Jesus Christ is going to be with us forever. We're going to be with him forever. Uh, Number three, God is a trinity. God is a trinity. Now, that's the name of our church, right? Trinity Baptist Church. Do you know that the term Trinity does not show up in the Bible? I didn't just say our our name is unbiblical. That's not what I'm saying, but it doesn't show up in the Bible. But the doctrine of the Trinity or the teaching of the Trinity does show up in the Bible. It shows up all through the Bible. In the Old Testament, we will see that the Trinity is quietly declared. It is quietly declared in the Old Testament. It is quietly declared in the Old Testament. In fact, even in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, there is a, a nod to the Trinity. There's a, 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 a unveiling of it. Not, not full-blown, but a little of it. You remember Genesis chapter 1 and verse 1, it says, In the beginning, Elohim, or God, created the heaven and the earth. Now remember, that's one of the names of God, right? It means the strong one or the one who is to be feared. And in the name, that name of God, Elohim, uh, it is a singular noun with a plural ending, the yod mem ending him, him, Elohim is plural. So in the beginning, in the very first book of the entire Bible, or first verse of the entire Bible, we have this. Uh, singular noun, Elohim, but with a plural ending. Uh, the Hebrew language is, is, is a, a beautiful language. And it has this Yod-Mem, uh, and it's subtly declaring the Trinity. I highlight, I'm going to highlight it for you in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. In the beginning part it says, And God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Oh, is this some sort of a mistake by the translators? Is this some sort of a mistake in, in copies that have been made of the word of God? I mean, here we have, right? We've got, and God, that would be singular, right? God. But remember that uh, spelling of one of the names of God in the Old Testament is Elohim. It has its singular noun, but the plural ending. And God said, let us, speaking of the Trinity, make man in our image after our likeness. In Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verse 4, the Bible says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Now look at, it's in your notes. He says, the Lord our, what name is that? Elohim. The Lord our God, with a plural ending, is one Lord. Now the Hebrew language has two different words for one. Our English language has one word for one. Right. Just one word for one. That's all we've got. If uh, you were at my house sitting in the on the back porch this time of year, the ducks are all coming back and some geese. And they like to land in the neighbor's pond next door. And sometimes they like to land in our pool, which we don't appreciate. And the ducks are coming. Well, I enjoy watching ducks and they're an amazing creature. And uh, but if you see uh, one singular duck, you might say, look at that one. But if you see a whole flock of geese, you know, like in the shape of a V, or they're coming in for landing and they broke broken their V and they're coming in for landing, and you're referring to that flock, you might say, look at that one. Referring to the entire flock, look at that one, look at that flock. Um, the Hebrew language would use two different words for one. For one goose, they would say, look at that one. And for a group of geese, they would say, look at that aq. It's a different Hebrew word. So they have a a Hebrew word for one plural and the Hebrew word for one singular. And that's what he's using here in Deuteronomy 6 and verse 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our Elohim is one, akat, one plural, Lord. Um, You say, you're boring me with these details. Uh, Letter B. Letter B. I think it's amazing. Uh, The Trinity is openly declared in the New Testament. The Trinity is openly declared in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, the Trinity is quietly declared. But in the New Testament, the Trinity is openly declared. Uh, We see it at Jesus' baptism, where the Father spoke and the Son was baptized and the Spirit descended like a dove, all in one passage. You have the Father um, speaking. You have the Son being baptized. You have the Spirit of God Descending like a dove. You have the Trinity all in one particular passage. Number two, go ye therefore and teach all nations, it says in Matthew 28, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. And number three, all three persons of the Trinity are called God. Now, this is important. How many gods are there? One. How many persons within one God are there? three you're saying it's too late in the day. I'm, I haven't eaten dinner yet or maybe you already ate. there's one God. there's only one God. We don't have three gods. there's only one God. The Bible teaches that very clearly, but there are three persons within one. Um, now when we when we talk about the Trinity and we're trying to understand the Trinity, um, what are some illustrations you have heard given to you? Um, to help us understand the Trinity. Now, this is a little bit dangerous, but I'm going to ask it anyway. All right. Now, we're not being irreverent here, so don't be offended with your brother or your sister in Christ if they give. This is not necessarily what they claim. It's something they've heard. You would like to be first, David? probably a famous one that we just heard about on St. Patrick's Day, with the 3 Ah, you know what? I heard of that heard about that recently, but never before. Now, how does that work? Okay. Okay. All right. Uh, I won't ask anybody how blessed you were by that illustration. (laughs) But I have heard of that recently. By the way, all illustrations are going to fall short of the Trinity, okay? So please don't feel like you have to come up with something. Something you've heard. Ernie, Ernie? The egg, right. So you've got one egg, but you've got three parts to the egg, right? You've got the shell. You've got the white and you've got the yolk. But you only got one egg, but you've got three parts. All right. Somebody else? Uh, Bob. A pencil. I haven't heard this one. Okay. A pencil. You've got wood, lead, and eraser. You see, you see how all these fall short of the glory of God. Right. Okay. Uh, somebody else? Another one. Yes. Now the human body. The human body. Okay. okay. Now that would be... Fairly close, and it's interesting because the Lord said, Let us make man in our image. Okay, I think we're that'd be closer. Yes, Steve. All right, did you get that from Pastor Burden? All right, all right, that's the first time I've heard that one. Some anybody else? Yes, Pastor Gazna, water that's a good one. Go ahead and describe it. Ice, right? So you've got the liquid form, the vapor form of water, and the frozen state of water. Okay, now we're all being like, ah, oh, my blesser's shot at this point. But more hands are coming up. Yes, Mister Roberts. Equilateral triangle. All right, you're on your own with this one. Go ahead. <laughs> Do you remember how they broke it down? I mean, I know what a triangle is. Yeah, right. One side is the water, one side is the sun, one side is the water. And they're all equal. Okay. All right. All right. Okay. I I sorry, I got I got caught in the lateral. I thought we were playing football. All right. Yes, Rob. Right. Now, see the downside to illustrations like this is that would burn out with the Lord's power continues forever. So, yes. All right. We'll take one more of these gems. Yes, Michelle, end it with a bang. Okay, a person. I'm a mom. I'm a daughter. I'm a sister. Those are all different goals, but I'm the same person. A mom, sister. A daughter. A daughter. Okay, alright. I was gonna say that was only two, and we gotta have three No, very good, very good. And I like that because it's personal. I've never heard of it. I've never can Michelle, can we put that in the masculine, please, just for sake of continuity with Scripture? I'm teasing. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. Okay, so you get the idea, though. We're talking about the Trinity. And, and you might say, Pastor Ferguson, when we wrap up in a few minutes, you're going to say, you might say, Pastor Ferguson, I don't completely understand the Trinity. Um, uh, well, join the club. And uh, someday you will. <laughs> but you're not going to fully understand it in this earth. The point is this, though. This is what the Bible teaches. And uh, uh, when we think about the Trinity, I want to end with this. There are three persons within the Trinity, but they're all co-equal. Okay, so the Father is not greater than the Spirit. The Spirit is not greater than the Son. Now, they have different roles, don't they? And we, we find in the Bible the Father actually... We see Jesus doing the will of his father. Okay, Uh, we see the spirit being sent by the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, but that that does not mean that the Holy Spirit is less than. Okay, they are all in the Bible. By the way, this is interesting. They are all called God. They're all called God. They're all identified as God. Uh, I'm going to read some passages of scripture to you very quickly. The father is God. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 7, the Bible says, Grace to you and peace from God our Father. Um, Jesus Christ is God. In Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 8, the Bible says, But unto the Son he saith... Now this, Hebrews 1, I'll give you a little background here. The Father is having a conversation uh, with his Son. And it sa- he says this, But unto the Son he, the Father, saith, Thy throne, O God... Is forever and ever. Isn't that interesting? So here we have the Father speaking to His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Father calls the Son God. Um, the Holy Spirit, on the inspiration or by the inspiration of the Spirit, uh, Paul refers to the Father as God. Do you remember in Acts chapter five when Ananias and Sapphira sinned and they lied? You remember um, they had sold some property to give to the church. Um, they did sell the property. They had said they're going to give all of the proceeds to the church. And then they decided, wow, that's a lot of money. I don't think they need quite that much. They decided we're not going to give them all of the money like we said we were going to. We're going to hold back some for ourselves or give the rest, which we would all say still is very generous. The problem was uh, the inspiration of the Spirit of God helps us understand this in the book of Acts. They lied to the Spirit. And in that text, the Holy Spirit is called God. I'm going to read it to you. In Acts 5, verse 3, it says, But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whiles it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? You could have done whatever you wanted, Ananias. Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? And then he says this. Thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. At the beginning, he says, why have you lied to the Holy Ghost? At the end, he says, you've lied unto God. God is the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit is God. Now so again, you might say, Seth, we can't end just yet. I don't understand the Trinity. Well, you, you could study it for the next three hours, or the next three years For the next 30 years, and you and I wouldn't fully comprehend the Trinity. You know, even though we may not completely understand, we must have faith in God's Word. The Bible reveals God to us. I'm going to end with an illustration. Um, Years ago, I was preaching at a church in Connecticut, and there was a family that this church had been praying for for their salvation. The man's name was Jim. He was an engineer. Uh, He was a very bright man, a hardworking guy. Not only did he work in his career field, but as an engineer, he also was doing things, starting businesses on the side and doing other things. He was a very brilliant, hardworking, what I would describe as an honest man. Uh, Jim Botello. And he had a wife and they had two children. And Jim had come to the church on occasion when he had time. And he always would leave with a lot of questions, which is fine to have questions. That's that's a good thing to be thinking and and to wonder, well, I wonder what that means, or I wonder how that applies. But where Jim was, it wasn't just a matter of asking questions. It was a critical attitude toward the Word of God, which was under undergirded by unbelief. The reason he was struggling so hard with the things that were being taught was because he didn't believe them. He didn't believe the Bible. Uh, He didn't believe in creation. He didn't believe a lot of things. And I can remember that particular night, and as an evangelist in those days, it was not uncommon for the pastor to approach me beforehand and say, hey, we've got a guy coming we've really been praying for, we want him to be saved, and so, you know, go get him. Uh, Like I had a magic potion to throw out, and poof, people would come to a saving knowledge. I mean, sometimes people did, and other times they did not. I can remember that particular night I was shaking hands at the back of the auditorium and Jim walked out with his wife and he grabbed my hand and he squeezed it pretty hard and he said this, he said, you almost got me tonight. Like we were in some sort of a wrestling match, you know, Um, but you almost got me tonight. Now, I wasn't discouraged by that necessarily because the word of God had been preached. It it was sad to me because Jim did not trust Christ that night as his personal savior. His wife was already saved. And I can remember still the sad look in her eyes as her family walked out the door. Um, I think Jim, as an engineer and as as an intellectual, Jim was basically saying, before I can have faith in God, I need to be able to understand God. And I want you to know something. That is not how faith works. We do not have faith in God because we understand. Now, you know, and I quoted from Romans ten many times. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. So there is a sense that the word of God grows faith. Hearing the word of God, remember, we talked about like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces, or like a fire. Okay, so the word of God is powerful, but we do not uh, we do not believe in God because we can comprehend all of who God is. If a person is going to wait until they can they can mentally comprehend all the things about God and put God nice and neatly in a little box with four walls, then that person will never be saved. There has to be a point where a person, when the Spirit of God squeezes their heart and the truth of God is presented to them, and they hear the truth at that moment, friend, and even as believers now having been saved, it is our responsibility to receive the truth as the Spirit of God is revealing it to us. Don't say no to him. Say yes to him. Jim Botello, by the way, is saved now. And he is a faithful member in that church with his wife and their two children who are probably taller than me at this point. But that church continued to sow the seed. They continued to love that family. And he is a faithful member of that church today. Um, But he had to get to the point where he humbled himself when it came to him and God. And he had to understand, you know what? I don't have to understand all that God is. I believe upon the Lord Jesus Christ. I believe in what the word of God is telling me to do. And so if our attitude, be wary of the attitude that says, I'm not going to believe in God unless I can comprehend all of who he is and what he's doing. Now, we don't we struggle with that as believers even, I think? I mean, people who are saved, we struggle with that sometimes. Uh, we struggle to trust the Lord during situations in our life when we can't seem to articulate why God would do this in our lives. Why did God choose this path? Why didn't God do this? Why is God allowing this? That's, that's the, that is the attitude of an unbeliever. Now, it's okay to ask the questions, Lord, I don't understand. But at the end of the day, and we're going to see this as we go through the next couple of weeks, and we ponder who God is, we don't have to understand all there is to know about God. We never will. Our responsibility is to believe in him. Believe in him and trust him. Let's pray together. Brendan, I'm going to ask you if you'd stand up, if you'd close this in prayer, please. Thank you, sir. All right, you are dismissed.